One thing I've definitely learned that no matter how well the person performs on the interviews, on the screening tests, it's really only when you're actually, you know, doing some actual work with this person, you can only see how he or she will perform. And that's why in every team that we built in our, uh, in, at InSquad, it's very important is when you see that the, the person is capable in terms of their hard skills, and you think they are okay in terms of their soft skills based on an interview, we ask them to start actually doing something. My name is Alex Svinov, and I am the CEO and co-founder of FinSquad. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today our Alex Vinoff is paving the way for you to scale your team four times faster with remote. All this and more on Code Story. Alex Vinoff has very few things to talk about outside of the business world, or so he says. He likes to jog, play tennis, and has a family with three kids at home. He likes to travel with his family and try new things, which he admits is complicated with the kids. Personally, he's driven each day to create something new. When it comes to food, his favorite is curry chicken, which according to him, he could eat every day. For the last several years, Alex has had a huge problem finding qualified developers for his startup. Alongside of this, resources were thin in the early days, and he was losing recruiting bids to larger companies. He thought hiring developers shouldn't be this hard. Maybe he should look somewhere different. This is the creation story of InSquad. InSquad is a talent platform and it helps software engineers from remote locations like Africa, like Latin America, like India, like Eastern Europe to get matched with the superb startups, uh, predominantly in U.S. We do have some European clients as well, but most of them in U.S. The way we do it is we bring uh, the talents on our platform, we vet them, we ask them to go through lots of tests, and then uh, we get only the best of the flock, and then we get them matched with the startups on the other end. The reason why I started it Maybe for the last eight to 10 years, I've been in a startup environment and I've been doing software development. In my last startup, I really had this huge problem. I started three years ago. I really had a huge problem of finding super qualified developers. And obviously, when you are in a startup setting, it's always a huge problem that you really need the best guys out there because everything depends on the first few hires, the first team that you actually you know, put together. So you cannot compromise on the quality of the guys. At the same time, you don't really have a lot of money. My team would start interviewing guys and all the cool developers would seem to get super rich offers from wealthy companies. And I would just keep on wasting time more and more and like two or three months to hire any decent developer. And so then I kind of felt, you know, it shouldn't be like that because hiring developers shouldn't be that hard, only that you don't have to look at the same place where everybody else is looking for, you know, for example, in US market, like there are just so many developers out there and everybody's chasing them. So it's like, you know, it's a game where you will always lose. 
So that's why we went, you know, remote and remote pro proved to be, you know, the paramount for lots of talents, uh, super talented guys from from uh, remote locations. And they, they don't have this opportunity that they, a lot of software engineering guys in the U.S. have. And that's basically where we base our business model on. Tell me about the MVP. So that first product you built, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I'm a big fan of, you know, trying to sell before even doing the MVP. So in our case, MVP was a, a very small. We actually tried to put it together with uh, lots of uh, external tools like authentication tools. Obviously, we were hosting it on AWS. MVP would, it probably took us like three, three months to build something. It basically did the very basic functionality that would allow the developer to get onto the platform and, and start passing tests. And it was, you know, but it was very, very simple with absolutely no administrative panel. So it was, you know, some, something that we could, you know, barely use it in terms of uh, ourselves. But still, it's, it kind of it started off. With any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs around, you know, feature cut, tech debt, product considerations, and where you're going to start. Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them specifically. Basically, there are two things that I encounter every time, right? One of them is uh, how many features do we want to put in the next release? And the, another one, how, how much of a tech debt are we okay with taking on? Here, there are you know, two guys that are very important in this decision are the technical guy and the business guy. My main trade-off would be whom do I listen more to? Because obviously, you know, a strong technical leader will never want to have a lot of technical debt. At the same time, you know, a strong uh, uh, business uh, leader will always want to have a feature as soon as possible. And a lot of times that means to put a lot of technical debt and things that you don't really want in a, in a final code. Based on a weekly basis, we meet my CTO and CPO, we sit together and we, you know, we have a list of the features that we want to release this week with a technical guru that these features are actually the ones that are easy to implement or we could implement them with a you know, limited amount of tech debt because being in a startup is always exciting and you're building something new and you have three months ago you didn't have anything boom today you have a product and you have some users and it starts you know kind of functioning and you are so excited but then six months down the road if you don't take care of your technical debt oh you get you're gonna get swamped and you know and obviously you you will not be able to uh continue with that pace and this this is one thing that i actually you know felt over one of the startups then when i was just starting doing doing the software development and then i just you know i uh, had too much tech debt and the the, te the technical team did not you know feel excited at, at all about taking care of that and it's just you know started things started to fall out of control so right now i'm you know i'm taking the technical debt as as serious as uh, i'm taking you know uh, the new functionality and it's very important thing to to look at from that point, you've got your MVP and it's working. How are you progressing and maturing the product? And I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you build your roadmap and how you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address within Squad. Essentially, what you're talking about is building 
a long-term evolution plan, right? Okay, we have MVP and it seems to be working, it seems to be converting, but then we need to get on more developers, we need to get, you know, to increase the team to build a fully-fledged product. But again, how do we decide where are we going to be in the six months and in 12 months? And for us at InSquad, and, and what I'm doing at InSquad is that we first have like, like a big long-term goal, maybe a 12-month goal, what we want to see in terms of functionality, in terms of user experience. It shouldn't be very detailed, but it should be you know, something that is kind of motivating at the same time. It's, it's not limiting us. It gives us a direction, but it's not, it doesn't limit us to look elsewhere, right? So we put this like three to five, uh, you know, main uh, goals that we want to arrive at in in a 12 month period, and we after we've set these goals, we do routine work of break it down into smaller pieces of functionality that adds adds value, just to see whether we're going the right direction, because one of the things that I've also learned the hard way that, you know, if you try to build something you are not very sure, certain that your customer will use, you may end up, you know, spending a lot of time and money and losing the, the pace. Because again, startups is always about the pace, the momentum that, you know, that, that your client sees that you are on the edge and they, they, see, they get the best, the best quality and the best product out there. Put it out on the market and we then do the numbers. We see how useful it is. We see whether the feedback we're getting from our customers actually is, um, you know, motivating us and confirming our vision that we're going the right direction. And if it's not, we try to think it over. You know, if there this feature did not work well, we try to see whether it did not work well because of the a very limited functionality and it did not solve the user problem or just because there is no problem as such, or maybe the problem, the, the problem, it's not as acute as we thought it was. We do this process repeated, repeatedly, like every two to four weeks. And uh, after that, we, you know, look back and see what, what path have we gone and uh, how much response from the market we've received. And then if we need to, to adjust our long-term goals, we do that. And, and that's basically it. So it's all about, I'd say that, you know, building a great software product is first and foremost, it's about the process and being, you know, strict, strictly adhering to this process. Let's switch to team then. So how did you build your team and what do you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? The, the team is a subject that I can talk for four hours because again, I had this experience when I, when I first started building my first product in 2014. Really building a successful team is a way more than just building and you know, knowing how to write code. One thing I've definitely learned that no matter how well the person performs on the interviews, on the screening tests, it's really only when you're actually, you know, doing some actual work with this person, you can only see how he or she will perform. And that's why in every team that we built in our, uh, in, at InSquad and elsewhere, InSquad actually is helping the, you know, other guys to build their teams. So we're very, you know, very keen to bring our experience at InSquad to our clients in terms of building teams. 
And uh, what's it's very important is when when you see that the developer or the product manager or the analyst or the you know whatever uh, when you see that the, the person is capable in terms of their hard skills, and you think they are okay in terms of their soft skills based on the interview, then we give them some very simple task. The very first day they come, we ask them to start actually doing something. When they start doing something, they exhibit behavior. And this is the most important part of any team formation. And every team kind of, you know, it kind of needs three things. It needs technical leadership. It's need, it needs motivational leadership uh, or management leadership. And it needs people leadership. When, when we have three, these three components, I know that the team is going to function well. When you hire somebody, you always have to look what kind of, you know, leadership component this can, person can bring. If it can, if it cannot, right? And unless you have three these of these leadership components filled in the team, you are not certain that you can, you know, rely on this team to deliver the product on time and to perform well long term. Okay, let's switch to scalability then. So, did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction? In terms of software development, we're definitely not doing something to be scalable from day one. Because first, we need to see the demand. We need to see that we're going the right direction. Just as soon as we see that the product we are building is, uh, you know, something that the, the client really needs and everybody is excited about using it, only then we're taking steps to make the product truly scalable. Now, that doesn't mean that we write code any way we like. No, we definitely have some basic patterns. We, of course, use microservice architecture and, and we're, of course, using the, the modern frameworks, but we're putting less, you know, less uh, focus on scalability as opposed to viability of the product. In my experience, software engineering only scales in teams. So, for example, you have a team of, I don't know, say five to seven people and they're doing great work. It's not going to work as well if you just add, you know, two to three people to this team. It might actually, you know, uh, destroy the team spirit and it may, uh, it may, you know, ruin everything. So what we prefer to do is we, when we see that there is, you know, there is demand is there, that, you know, we have the financing. We prefer to to build a standalone team right next to this one. Maybe take a couple of or three engineers from this team that have the technical expertise and bring in, uh, you know, uh, leadership leader from from outside, or uh, or split the team and maybe add some more people to each of one of the smaller teams, so that we have, uh, you know, uh, growth in terms of scalability by teams, right? One important things to know to note here is also that it takes time to build great teams. I never expect, for example, if we're you know if, if we need to ramp up the team, I never expect this to happen overnight. And the strongest leaders that I've ever had, they have grown from you know from junior or from mid-level developers that have joined our team, and they started you know feeling the spirit of the team and then they started you know they they got promoted and they they've learned the hard way how it all works and then they they carry the values of the team and the company and then they can you know be the leader of of a of any new team so it typically takes anywhere from one to three years for the person to go through through this route 
and to become a, a good team lead or a good uh, project manager uh, or good people manager within the team. Okay, so as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? One thing that really makes me happy is that even if I don't check what's going on with the, with the software development this week or next week or two weeks after, the people that are working on the products that we're building, they will be just as heavily invested, you know, and just as interested in doing what they are doing. So I guess one, one thing that I'm, I'm very much concerned and very proud at the same time is making sure that everybody who works at InSquad or any other you know, project that I'm doing, it's actually feeling that this is the right thing to do and this is something that I'm really excited about. Because what I've learned, you know, people don't come to work just to make money. I mean, probably there are people who do that, but most of us actually need to have some meaning in what they are doing. When, when you start feeling that, this, you know, this is the most rewarding feeling that I've ever had. And given that we spend the most of our free time at work, at least if, you know, if we're working eight hours a day, uh, that's like the most focused part of, of our life. It just doesn't make sense to do something that you're not excited about. So that's what I'm, you know, I'm very much proud that I help, I think I help others to find more meaning in lives and, and you know, to create something new. And sometimes somebody from my team comes over and they're like, hey, we want to change the direction that the product is going. We want to do this feature or that feature. And I'm totally fine because it's just, you know, being in this part of organization, in this organization that is actually vibrant, you know, that is living, is, is a, you know, the, I think it's most important feeling that I've ever had. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. First mistake, I guess, in my life that I made it is that for the first uh, maybe 10 or 12 years of my career, I was not, on, I was not in startups. I was in, in, in large companies. I was in, in banking and finance. Probably if I wouldn't have been there, I wouldn't have appreciated life in startups as much as I do now. Speaking about my mistakes at startups, I think one of the first mistakes I made was I was trying to do a lot of micromanagement. I thought that, you know, no, no one but me cares for the product we are doing as much as I do. What, what happens is that when I do, you know, I control a lot, I think that I'm doing good because I know, you know, I'm trying to stay on top of what's going on. But there are two problems with that. Number one is that there is a certain limit to how much information I can consume and how much I can con control. So it's a limit to the size of the team and the size of the product and our velocity and so on and so forth. And the second problem there is that whenever I control somebody, there is still a, that tiny feeling that person feels is that I don't trust him or, she, or her. And that is demotivating person to, you know, to, to do great job when somebody is always checking what, what you're doing and how you're doing and let me see, you know, how many, how many tasks you have completed and so on and so forth. That's, I guess, the, the biggest mistake that I've made in terms of management. Because of that, I lost one of my first CDOs. 
I kind of learned it hard way that you know you should you should if you want to have you know great team guys on board, you have to give them the space to to develop and to grow and to build something good. And ever since that, you know, I'm trying to respect everybody's uh, freedom of uh, choice and that they have chosen to work with me in this with this product. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I, I don't really care what they do. No, I do really care. But if I don't trust this person, I better not work with him or her. Not try to, you know, to double check everything what he or, or she is doing. Okay, what does the future look like for InSquad, the product, and for your team? I'm a big fan of remote work. One thing that uh, pandemic has, has taught us is that you have to learn how to work remote. In my experience, you know, the best teams that are out there are remote these days. So what it's in squad is actually building, it's helping the world to become closer place, you know, by bringing the remote developers. So uh, we do have uh, some cool features in terms of uh, product development, but most importantly, what I'm, you know, I'm excited about is that more and more of our clients, they are accepting the fact, you know, hey, we were not looking for developers in Argentina or in Latin America or in India. Now we are willing to do so for multiple reasons. You know, some of them are looking for the for developers because they are cheaper. Other people are looking because there is just no qualified personnel in this particular technology in their home market. What matters to us is that we're bringing a lot of great talents to the great startups. And that means that, uh, you know, the future in terms of uh, in product development is bright and there is a definitely more uh, great, more great products to come and more uh, great developers to to emerge from from all this uh, from all these areas. Okay, Alex, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why? I'm a data person. Maybe the, the first part of my career was in finance. Maybe, maybe that influenced me. As for inspiration, I guess there are two books I'd say that have changed the way that I'm thinking and changed the, my attitude in life. One of them is, uh, not, surprise, not surprisingly, Dalai Lama, who is you know, talking about Buddhism. Because I think you know, the, the minute when I found that there is a, such a philosophy it kind of put a lot of you know sense in my life right because a lot before that i was asking myself why and why and why uh, why this happens why that happens and a lot of time i wouldn't was not willing to accept a lot of things in life like i'm sure everybody has that i wouldn't say that i am a buddhist per se because it's just you know i'm not very consistent in terms of you know uh, observing the traditions however it really helps you know Buddhist mindset is something that really helps me weather all the problems weather all the storms and especially in startups they come you know they come often another uh, great author that I've that I've, I'm enjoying reading is uh, a Ray Dalio who is a uh, hedge fund manager and who's uh, written the book principles they're basically very small but very powerful rules that you could, you know, uh, apply to your life to again get more control and get more predictability in what you're doing. Because a lot of times I think 
people get frustrated because they, you know, think that things in life work one way or and they turn out to be another and they are not prepared to that. And that's when, you know, when that's when you got get a lot of negative feelings and that's, you know, that's demotivating and that's not that's not helpful. And with what with uh, again with what I'm reading from from him, it's it's very straight, very up to the point and makes a lot of sense when you st- when you start using these rules. Okay, last question, Alex. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Two things, I think. When, when you're building something new, try to find somebody whom you can interest in this thing, you know, genially, whom you can make genuinely interested in that. Because a lot of times I see, and I actually, you know, f- uh, f- uh, trip over this myself, or my brain plays tricks on me and, the, and I'm like, hey, this is a great thing, I want to build it, and this is, everybody definitely needs it, and I think it's important just to remember that this world, you know, is a big place and everybody's got their own business, and if I'm, if I'm want to invest a lot of time in this product i gotta find somebody who is interested in that at a very early stage right so that i don't spend a lot of time building something who that nobody needs and that i you know i'm very much putting a lot of time and then not getting a a lot of results at at the end so that's one thing just to keep to keep an eye on that you know it could be investor it could be a client anybody who is willing to you know commit time and money to what whatever you are doing and another uh, piece of advice I'd say is that instead of maybe building long plans building strategies or any you know any nice uh, documents go out and try to do something because a lot of times I think uh, especially this this is what I've seen uh, time and again in in larger corporations that people are spending so much time so much effort so much money on trying to, you know, build great plans, great Excel spreadsheets, you know, things that are useless in terms of, you know, who's going to be end user of that, right? And instead of doing that, I'd say my plans in terms of my startups, they are never longer than one sheet of paper, just because I don't see that any point in building a a big long-term plan when there's, you know, when there's nobody up front there to solve this problem for. So, uh, you know, get up and try to do something, you know, make a small plan, try to make a trail, spend a month or two months doing this or three months, try to find some, some customer for that. And if you, if you're, if you succeed in that, you, you're, you're going to be good down the road. That's great advice. Well, Alex, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of InSquad. Thank you very much, Noah, for, for hosting me here. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.